I don't think I could do it every every day. But when I choose to take on big things, that's what I'm searching for is that that ability to do it sustainably with with dignity and with with like the ability to still articulate a sentence and not be on my deathbed every night in between. Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. Today's guest is Robbie Ballinger. He's a man who is not adverse to extreme challenges and his list of multi-stage ultra efforts reads long. There are iconic races in there, plus unusual challenges such as loops around Central Park and outlasting a Tesla. Most recently, he took on a solo speed project effort, but he is keeping up that momentum and switching gears to crewing for another epic challenge this time supporting Will Googe as he runs across America, an experience he is well-versed in having done the challenge himself back in 2019. Robbie caught up with us a few days ago in the early stages of the effort in Barstow, California, doing laundry for the crew, no less. Oh, the glamour. Let's get into the interview. Robbie, thank you so much for joining me on The Big Run, on the road, no less. I'm really excited to, to get into this conversation, but perhaps before we kind of jump into things, maybe it's worth giving the listeners a little bit of context as to where you're joining me from for this particular conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I am on the road. I am currently in Barstow, California, doing laundry for our crew and William Gooch, who is running across the United States. He left from Huntington Beach, four days ago with all all eyes set on New York City, Central Park in New York City. Wow, what what an adventure and one that you've got a got a little bit of experience in and I'm sure we'll kind of come to that in the in the conversation but I'm curious cuz you've not long finished a, a TSP solo effort and I'm quite curious to know like before we kind of get into that maybe unpack that a little bit. What's the what's the shift like from going from being the, the man with his feet on the ground to, to shifting to crew? Like what's that kind of change in position like? Yeah, definitely like multifaceted. Uh, in one way, I just feel blessed to not be the one putting one foot in front of the other anymore. Uh, so that part's really nice. Um, it's Yeah, it's great. It's an honor to be out here with Will. Um, you know, usually after a big run such as I did, you know, it's 288 miles. You have some, some downtime just to kind of regroup and let your body and mind just heal from it. Whereas this one, we pretty much leaped right into this. So, you know, it's had its ups and downs for me, uh, as far as energy and also emotionally, but it's all leveled out. I, I told the crew before we got out here on Williams run, I was like, you know, I really just am ready to hit the road. I understand how to do that. When we have a fixed, you know, point that we're trying to get to, that's something I understand well. So, we found flow state. We're in a good place. And um, yeah, just really enjoying it now. I love that. What What is flow state? And how do you know that you've reached flow state when you're in a kind of crewing position? Like what what, what are the kind of signs that you look for for like, okay, everything's clicked. We're, we're grooving now. Yeah. I mean, it's just a rhythm. I think rhythm has a lot to do with it. And as a crew, we've found it. I think a little bit of that is like with anything, you've got to all figure out your place who's doing what, where we're keeping things. Um, but then also for this situation at hand, we finally left the congestion that is the greater Los Angeles area. And mm. we found ourselves out on Route 66, making our way again through the Mojave Desert. So it's just, it's simplified a lot and everything feels very simple. And we all have, we have our, we have our tasks, we know what to do. And yeah, now we're just doing it. 
imagine that clarity is really important when you're staring down the barrel of like a huge challenge. Like when you're, you're, you're thinking of that kind of volume for that length of time, you, you kind of want to distill all of the distractions. Well, I can imagine, I, I can't attest to it personally, but I can imagine you want to distill as many distractions out of your field of view as possible so that the, the challenge in hand feels, does it make it feel more palatable? Does it make it feel more manageable when all that kind of clutters out of the way? You know, it does. I think for us as a crew, though, our job is to absorb all of that clutter. Mm. We're trying to avoid that for William, right? So for him, we just need to make sure that his, his day looks very simple. Wake up, eat, start running, continue to eat, get done in the evening, sleep. And so... Yeah, I mean, that we're seeking that simplicity for him and taking on everything else. But within that, trying to find a way to do that with grace and also managing it, managing the stresses and finding, yeah, just all of us finding our own ways to contribute to the team and also have a good time ourselves. Because that's also important is that he feels positive energy coming from those around him. Mm, that's a really good point, actually, because it, it, it's got to be enjoyable for you as well, right, to, to crew. Like there's there's got to be that kind of give and take of, of that energy between you as a group. Absolutely. Like the enjoyment and also the focus, too. You know, like, again, we've we've found our flow, but it did take a couple of days. And that was something on morning three yesterday morning, had a meeting with the crew. And, you know, we were all the day before doing our best, got a little distracted. And I had to remind everyone, I was like, the moment that will senses distraction, he's going to start getting distracted. So let's just make sure to stay razor focused, especially as he comes into aid stops so that when he leaves, he feels comfortable and that we're competent and able to take care of anything that might arise. Mm, You bring up a really interesting point, actually, because I I was interviewing some some how what we would class as like conventional elite athletes they compete on track they they kind of compete in conventional distances and when you think about these kind of challenges these ultras these trails these kind of races and challenges that you're kind of creating for for yourself where there's no kind of you know there's no official governing body there's no kind of uh, yearly competition that happens for these kind of events what what is the what is the balance in terms of that level of serious you're talking about but also enjoying it and having an experience and sense of adventure like how do you sort of strike that that balance when you're maybe when you've got your crew hat on like how do you sort of toe that line i think it's like it's always looking to have the larger goal always present but Mm. not this the focus is like we just have to take this day by day and breaking it up into small chunks and when we do that it becomes manageable and then we're all able to enjoy it because the minute you really zoom out and see the magnitude of this, it can become quite daunting. Mm. So it's just that that fine line does exist there. And, you know, it's it's also remembering every day that it's only as serious as we make it. So if we can bring playfulness into it, crack jokes, keep Will smiling and keep ourselves smiling, it's just, it's a much more suited place to be when it comes to something as simple and beautiful as running. In terms of jokes, do you think you've landed on a, a particular kind of like private joke between the group that you think will hold the test of time, that it'll be the a same joke you'll be riffing on when you get to the East Coast of America? Have you, have you got I'm, any front I'm runners? Sure some of them are, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some have arisen. I think we haven't really been able to identify them quite yet, but uh, no doubt they will be there. I'd say between Will, myself, and the rest of the crew, there's there's no shortage of banter and and a lot of inside jokes and cynicism and all the good things that come with a group of lads just out and about on, you know, out in the wilderness. 
I love that. I just I love that when you've been together with a group of friends for a long period of time, when jokes kind of like become almost inverted, where the actual like the the meaning of the joke is lost, but you've kind of said it so many times, it still sort of still remains funny. And I'm sure you'll go to all kinds of weird and wonderful places with the length of time that you will be on the road. But I'm curious, putting the shoe on the other foot and getting back to you as a as a runner to touch on what has literally just been like a few weeks ago, your TSP solo effort. I mean, where to begin with that? I've been really enjoying kind of reading your unpacking of the kind of day-by-day events that you've been putting out on Instagram. I mean, have you had more time to reflect? How, how was that experience for you? It was it was a wild, wild couple of days. Um, the Speed Project is such an amazing race organization. And just getting out there again, you know, it with just a great group of people is really what, what it's all about. Um, it's a, it's really hard terrain. There's a lot to navigate and go through. And with each day it presented its, you know, it's, it's struggles, but also it's accomplishments. And man, I mean, I'm still unpacking it myself. Um, day one was one of the best hundred mile efforts I've ever put in. I was just completely going back to just in flow state felt very easy uh, in that I might've cranked it up a little more than I should have <laughs> and paid for that on day two. But, you know, I've done, this is now my second 200 mile plus effort. And what I've found is there seems to be this archetypal kind of arc of difficulty. And with both day two was just downright miserable. And by day three, it's like the adaptation starts to happen. You start to normalize what you're doing. And that was really an, an, an impactful and amazing day, day three. Um, and then day four came with its own trials and tribulations. And then eventually we would make it to Vegas and got to celebrate. And it's just amazing to me how quickly the struggle, the pain dissipates and you're just replaced with this feeling of, of fulfillment and gratitude and accomplishment. So I find that with every distance. I think we all as runners do, you know, whether it be a half marathon all the way up to these 200 mile plus things. In the middle of it, there's a lot of suck, but we always come out of it feeling rewarded and searching for the next thing. <laughs> and you literally have rolled straight into the into the next thing. Just to touch on the on the day four thing, because there was an element just reading through the the posts prior to getting on this, where the kind of the no rules thing you kind of butted up against that ever so slightly with a recommendation from a from a state trooper. Which did you think with that recommendation there was potential to to save time and and, and be be that little bit quicker can you sort of unpack that for us yeah yeah so yeah it did get a little complicated um i anyone that anyone that personally knows me will tell you like i do a really good job of often not getting too caught in the details for better or worse (laughs) uh and this race was no different you know i was familiar with the speed project um and then back in november it was brought to me as maybe an idea of something i should do this year and i jumped on it really quickly i loved the vibe i loved the the no rules aspect. And so as soon as I heard that, I I ran with it. I was just like, okay, no rules, let's go. And having a seasoned crew who has done multi-day efforts or crewed me in them, I just called my boys and I was like, Hey, we got, we got to get from LA to Vegas. Let's go. And so that's what, that's kind of how we proceeded knowing the parameters of just don't break the law. (laughs) And so Having been plucked off of an interstate when I ran across the U.S. in 2019, I'm well aware that that's against the law. But I also knew in the back of my head that there is this kind of, how would I say it? There's there's kind of a, 
that law is a little loose when it comes to places where there's no other pedestrian pass. Mm. And I wasn't planning to act on that because I wasn't sure if that was the case through there. But we were running the drifts and kind of the ditches around the interstate, knowing that that would be kind of the flattest route. And then coming up on uh, close to this town called Baker, California, uh, a state trooper stopped by and he informed us. He's like, yeah, once you get to this town, Baker, from there to the state line, it's actually legal for you to run on the shoulder. Somewhat encouraging it. He was really into what we were doing. (laughs) And so we just went with it. And we were all in a pretty you know, heightened state of, of tiredness, almost delirium and just mm. jazz to be out there. So the whole crew, we were, we were just like, let's go. And I, we all were assuming other runners were on my tail doing the same thing to then find out a little bit later from a call from the race director. He's like, Hey man, I, I, I hear, or I received a photo that you're running on the interstate and that's against the rules. I'm asking you to get off for which I quickly got off. I had no intentions of bending, breaking the rules. Um, but there was always, there's also that part where, okay, the rule was don't break the law. We were told we weren't. So it's a gray area there. Mm. I've spoken with the race director and links about it as well as many of the other runners. And I think we all came to the terms of just like, you know, this race is pretty wild. So let's just keep it that way. But I, want to you know also just give an immense amount of respect to those who finished the race in total but also those that were really close around me um uh, a woman by the name of lucy finished first Mm. she beat me by like i think it was like six and a half hours if not more um really an incredible incredible effort and then just behind me was a guy cole crosby who took the og route meaning he ran 340 miles and he was only two and a half hours behind me. So I really think in this race particularly, you know, there's a lot you could say about place, like who came in where, because there's so many variables. And to me, there was just such an, an incredible effort put out by everyone who towed the line in that race. And um, just proud to be even in the company of many of these runners. Yeah, an extraordinary, extraordinary results. And it's amazing those like parameters of time that you're talking about in terms of distance and time to be, you know, in second place with a six hour difference to the person in front of you, but then have someone in third doing a whole longer route, but two hours close, like those parameters that sort of warp and shift is, is I suppose, part of the kind of wild draw of an event like TSP that there are so many kind of variables, but the, the idea of something like that, like, and thinking of it in terms of the context of a, of a race, like, is that something that you think about in terms of like the, the racing element of it? Are you thinking about strategy? Like, are there moments when you maybe get a sense that someone's kind of on your tail where you're like, okay, I need to sort of double down here and really kick on so that I can hold this position. Is that part of the dialogue in your head in events like that? Usually no, I, you know, cause most of my big efforts are, are, just me against myself. And that's something I really enjoy. I feel like I get the most growth out of that when you just, when you put yourself against yourself. And in this one, it is so broad. There is no defined route. So 99% of the time, I just got to click into that thing that I know and love so well. But there were a couple instances where, yeah, like I did get competitive, which isn't normal for me. And one was another runner, um, guy by the name of Joaquin, him and I actually did end up in the same spot at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we both turned it on. And that was during day two when I was having really, really rough time. And it was amazing how adrenaline really kicked in and in that, that competitive spirit. And it allowed me to get some miles done a lot quicker than I may have otherwise. Um, And then yeah, in the fourth day, 
I had such a complex set of emotions kind of rolling through me after that call with the race director and just being so fatigued. That news just really broke me down. It it made me very disinterested in the effort. It made me very frustrated with myself, Mm. with the race itself, with everything. And 90% of what got me going again was just needing to see this through with as much integrity as possible and the last 35 miles, I just really gave it my all and stayed at a pretty good clip the whole time. But there was also this 10%, which was the crew telling me, hey, there are some people coming up behind you. And again, I got into this kind of competitive spot. So yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a long-winded way of saying that, yeah, there was a component of that at play. Um, but I think what this race also does for many people who do just focus on races, it does allow you to open up your mind and your spirit to competing against yourself a lot more than we might in a traditional race. Mm, I love that. And we are, we are not averse to long-winded answers on this podcast. I love it. I love hearing. <laughs> I guess that's what podcasts are about, right? Uh, it's absolutely long form, my friend. And it's always lovely to just hear a guest think through something and articulate something and come to a, to a thought or a feeling or a moment in their, in their sort of discourse in their in their mind as they articulate something is always lovely, lovely to hear. Just to trace back, and you know, you mentioned that word integrity, but I maybe a slightly not integral question is who took the photo of you to alert the race director that you were in an area that maybe you shouldn't have been? <laughs> yeah, it was a crew member for one of the other teams. And okay. I'll just leave it at that. You know, we were yeah, you know, whatever. They yeah. did what they did and we did what we did. That's it. So here we all are. That, I just had that little sort of scratch of curiosity, but I will I will park that and just move <laughs> on. I'll I'll get back in my own RV and I'll just keep on driving. <laughs> I'm curious though about this this idea of you versus yourself. Like I love that as an idea. I mean, when do you think that competition started for you? When do you think you started thinking of yourself in those terms? When did you sort of pit yourself against yourself? I think when I began running, I mean, honestly, running has just been such a transformative thing in my life and allowed me to transition from, you know, one phase in life, which was one full of partying and debauchery, which I wholeheartedly enjoyed. Um, But there was a point where I just kind of got, I got worn out with it. I'd spent too much time at the pub and was ready for something new. And I, I was lucky at that moment to be dating a wonderful woman who's now my wife who introduced me to running. And right away for me, running was always about pushing distance. I never really got caught up in that kind of marathon mindset of like, I got to hit this because it's the marker of what other people do. I always just wanted to go further. Mm -hmm. And through going further, I found that there was just a lot of growth. And I've really loved that growth. I love improving myself through hard, arduous things and To me, the best way to do that is to eliminate the ego of how I compare to others and only comparing myself to my past self, whether that past self be a year ago or a hundred yards ago and just constantly looking for improvements and ways to pat myself on the back for the hard work I've put in. Mm, Such an interesting idea. I mean, do you look back at earlier or older versions of of yourself, be it the the hundred yards individual in the rearview mirror or that version of yourself who was partying and enjoying that debauchery and do you do you recognize that version of yourself when you look back oh it's still it's still the same person with the same energy i think it's now Mm. become where i've chosen to put that energy 
And with this one comes a lot more room for growth, I feel like. Like, I, I, partying substances is just such a like quick, easy fix. And I feel as though the harder we work towards something, the more we get out of it. And there's just nothing too hard about cracking a beer. There's mm-hmm. something really hard about running across a continent or 200 plus miles or whatever it might be for you. I don't think anyone could argue with that. And just to, to come back to that running across a continent, obviously you you have been there, you've you've done it. I, I don't know whether you bought a t-shirt, but I'm I'm sure we can <laughs> we can arrange for one to be made. But your experience back in 2019, I mean, would you think that was the kind of turning point for you in terms of your running career? Because it it, it is your kind of career now. Is is that the thing that put you on the map, that event? And I mean, how impactful was it? What was the what was the experience like? And I suppose also, how has that experience informed what you're doing now, crewing for, for Will as he takes on his own version of the event? It absolutely was what put me on the map. It was my first big challenge. Um, <clears throat> going into it, you know, I don't think I had ever ran more than two days of back-to-back, you know, larger than 100, you know, larger than a marathon distance. Mm. Uh, so it was my first big challenge. And with that, you know, running across the United States is a very rare accomplishment. First person did it in 1909. I was around the 330th. Compare that to those who have climbed Everest and it's well into the five to 10,000, right? So the rarity of this is, is, is such a, it's a unique quality to the challenge. Um, and yeah, so with that, you know, my body was still going through such a large adaptation phase. It was learning what it means to be a multi-day long distance runner and now watching William, to me, that's one of the most interesting things that him and I have talked a lot about a lot on the road with this challenge is his body's not going through the shock or his mind that mine did. And I think that's because he's a little more seasoned. You know, him and I's relationship was birthed out of him reaching out to me after my run across the US because he was going to run the length of the UK, Joggle. Mm-hmm. And... I went out there and helped him and we watched the same things happen that happened to me when I ran across the US, just your body and mind falling apart and then them having to recalibrate. And, you know, I think that's what sets a lot of people apart and it's those that can take on these challenges and those that don't. Like, are you willing to break yourself over that adaptation phase Mm. or are you going to stop? And for him and I both, we saw it through and it's interesting, his, his mind and body are just holding so well right now. I mean, we could revisit this in a week and it might be different, but he's definitely lasted longer than I did. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so that my experience is definitely informing his run a lot. We're using the same route. You know, there's a lot of ticks and tr- tips and tricks we're learning along the or that we don't have to learn along the way because of mine from things from like just how to prepare, how to eat correctly, how to hydrate correctly, but then also you know, we know that tomorrow I now know because of my experience that we're on, we're out on this desolate part of this old route 66 that used to take people to and from on the U S but now it's kind of like a dead highway. And I know that tomorrow we're going to get to a part where the road actually is closed down Mm -hmm. and we'll be able to take our four wheel drive truck with him, but the camper and van will have to take a detour around. When I did it, we didn't know that we got there and we had to problem solve really quickly. So these things are ways that we're able to shave time, we're able to shave, you know, stress for him as a runner and off the crew. And in that, we're going to be able to put up a better performance than I did. You know, my goal was 75 days, I did it in 75 days. And with Will, we're shooting, we're shooting big, we're going for 64. 
And I really feel first and foremost confident in him in that because of his ability as an athlete and as a man. Uh, and then also I do feel as though the knowledge I'm bringing to the table is definitely going to help us get there a little bit as well. 100%. I mean, what a what a guru to have in your corner, like someone who can testify directly to that experience, having literally done it themselves. I'm curious, there's so many things I want to kind of follow up on on, on that response there, but I just to touch quickly on that, that last sort of stat of 64 days. So how... How does that break down? Like, let's run the numbers on this. So what are we looking at for sort of daily mileage that uh, that Will needs to hit to, to hit that 64-day target? It's pretty cut and dry, 50 miles a day. You know, that's, that's what has to be done. We're doing 52 a day right now just to create a cushion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot. It's a big country. There's a lot that could happen between here and New York. So I think it's really wise as he's feeling fresh. It's not an immense amount extra, but it does give us quite the cushion. Mm. And then it's also interesting when you start looking at these distances and these amount of days is, you know, think about this in the, if something was to go wrong in the first 14 days, not to say it will, and will needed to take a day off from there on out, we only have to add one extra mile per day. And that makes up for that lost day. See, I see, I see. I was literally just running the numbers. So you're you're basically per week, you're banking an extra sort of 14 miles with those additional two each day to sort of tally on to build that cushion. And speaking of that thing of like things can happen, I mean, when you did it back in 2019, were there were there particular areas on the route that were a bit sketchy? Are there areas that you're kind of approaching that you're like, okay, we need to kind of have our wits about us when you kind of hit those ones, ones that you're thinking that you're not nervous about, but you're kind of you're slightly heightened about when you when you arrive at those places. Um, yes, I think going out of LA over the San Gabriel Mountains was the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you quickly transition from flat to some serious climbing as your body's waking up to the fact of what you're doing. So we 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 got through that one unscathed. That was really great. Um, where we are now, the Mojave Desert traditionally is pretty warm this time of year. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it's quite cool. So we we're at an advantage there. And then the next one is late in the game that I really, I've told Will about. I've watched other runners, including myself, come to this juncture and it it creates a lot of problems, which is the Appalachian Mountains. We're going to go through, you know, out here in the desert, we'll go through some mountains in Arizona and New Mexico, and then we hit the Great Plains through all of Oklahoma, start making our way slightly into the Northeast. But then about Pennsylvania, we get the Appalachian Mountains. They're, they're, they're very old mountains. They're not as dramatic as, say, the Rockies over here. But they will just chew you up and spit you out. And I think a lot of that comes from, again, you're kind of going through this flat area. You're using a certain set of muscle groups. And all of a sudden, you're in very undulating terrain with a lot of steep ups and downs. And it just wreaks havoc on your body and your mind. Because we'll get down to where these you know, these 50 mile days are taking will probably about 11 hours a day when we get out into the group planes. And all of a sudden, we're going to be looking at 16 hour days. And it's just strictly what happens when you get in that type of terrain where you just have to power hike a lot. And yeah, so that's really, to me, the crux of the run is very late in it, we've got to get through those probably six days with maintaining the mileage we need. And it's yeah, it's a make or break it 
type of type of time there. Oh, it sounds I can just I'm picturing it all as you describe it. It just sounds like such an incredible invention. And and not to dwell too much on the on the areas that might be slightly sketchy, just sort of flip that on its head. Like from when you did it back in uh, 2019, were there any kind of because you go through so many places, you're you're cutting mm-hmm. through like America. It's extraordinary. You're cutting through all these <laughs> all these different places. Were there individuals you met, people you came across with, they're like random acts of kindness that kind of resonated with you. Like how much were you, I know you were crunching all these miles every day and like driving on towards this goal, but were there times where individuals might maybe connected with you and you were kind of taken aback and it kind of took you out of that, that moment for a bit? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, wherever you are in the world, I think everyone's aware as we live in a very, um, the word divided divided country over here in the u.s right now Mm. and with that as i went into my run i had a lot of trepidation about those that i would encounter that were different than me and what i quickly found was everyone we met was just so beautiful and so amazing and it really gave me a lot more optimism for humanity than I had going into it and I, I I rode that high all the way across just meeting people from every walk of life, and they were all wanting to engage about what I was doing. You have this great diffusing kind of opportunity when you tell somebody you're doing something as <laughs> massive as running across the United States. Mm, absolutely. I mean, what were people's reactions like? I mean, when you kind of like when you maybe describe what you do for a living and you have to sort of think of like, how am I going to present this to this particular person? Like, and you just tell them that strap line. I'm running across America in this fixed amount of time. Like what were people's reactions to it? The, the reactions are quite, you know, varying from like, oh my God, to <laughs> the ones that really get you are, you know, you get used to that. Like that's what you're expecting is the people that are just in shock and awe. Then every now and then you find somebody and you tell them and they just look at you deadpan and shake their head and go, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> Well, wait, wait, wait a second. Did you not just hear what I said? And so that one, that one would always crack me up. Um, but you, you know, it's, it's just such a gift to be able to often break people free of their expectations of what is possible. Mm. And then they can take that into their own life. And it maybe has nothing to do with running. Maybe it just has to do with someone that has a dream that it's to smart, start a small business or, Go on a trip, go travel, and knowing that you might, you just might be the catalyst for that change is quite rewarding. I'm super interested by the the deadpan thing. It's it's just an interesting thing in terms of human behavior of someone maybe almost, I don't know, wanting to sort of cover their kind of uh, shock and awe at the challenge you've just sort of presented to them and sort of like double down on the fact by I'm I'm going to pretend like I'm really not impressed. But by what yeah. you just said, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever, you're running across America, yeah, whatever. But it's just, it's just so interesting how how individuals react and and oh, some of the individuals you you must have seen and the, the the random acts of of kindness. Now, I'm just curious to go back to this thing you were you were talking about then about um, adaptations and kind of articulating what that is like because I think I don't think there's any other kind of discipline or distance or, or or kind of challenge that runners put themselves through where you kind of have to go through the training process during the course of the event itself to a certain extent. And I'm, I'm curious to get your kind of take and perspective on what that feels like and kind of what are the signs that you know your body is adapting 
where are the weird physical and mental places you go as your body starts to sort of cope with these challenges that you you put it through? Yeah. So first, yeah, it comes down to for something of this magnitude, right? Like, let's look at it from William's perspective. He's running 350 miles a week. You can't really train to that. If you do, you're already exhausted when you when you, you start on day one. So you do what you can to prepare your body, whether that, you know, that be, for me, it's very linear. It's a lot of running. Will is a little bit different of an athlete. You know, his, he doesn't really log as many miles outside of large challenges as I, as I do. But he spends a lot of time doing more full full body strength training as you know as well as being a talented runner. Um, but there's still you just can't get it to that 350 mile a week kind of load. So you get out on the road and you yeah your body starts to adjust in real time to get there. And the reality is in, is in these things is what you find is there will become a, there will come a time where your body and your mind says, no, I'm done. I, mm. I'm not going to do anymore. And your job as an athlete is to say, yes, we're going to continue. And saying, yes, we're going to continue comes with an immense amount of struggle and often an immense amount of pain. But the reality is, is that if you continue to do that, eventually your body succumbs and it says, okay, if we're going to do that, then I have to realign myself. And for me, when I ran across the United States, that came in the form of by day three, I was hallucinating. I was seeing things that were not there. I had unfounded fears, phobias. And then that lifted by midday on day four. And then my body revolted by initially shin splints in my in my right leg on day, I think it was seven. And what would, you know, a physio would tell you is the minute you get shin splints is you need to elevate ice, give it time off. That's really not an option out here. So instead, we just started to mitigate the issue. We found little ways we changed from crew socks into ankle socks. We put a compression sleeve on my shin and then eventually changed the shoes that I was wearing. By those three adjustments and just refusing to stop, in the course of five days, I completely overcame shin splints. And then what happened, it, that compensating created tendonitis in the other leg. We realized with that one, the best thing to do was lower mobility. A couple more days, my body let it go. And so then here we are by day 25, my body's realigned and there was really no quote unquote injuries after that. And it really just requires wholeheartedly believing in the thing you're doing and refusing to give in. And that's really, I think, what sets those apart who can accomplish these things and those who choose not to. And so that's, that's really where that adaptation happens. Luckily, what I found is your body remembers. And so the next time you choose to take on a multi-day event, it doesn't require quite as much to go through. And so now we're just waiting on where does that come in for will like what is the day where his body says is i've never been here before and it decides to revolt and we have to go through that process i mean that that is extraordinary like what you just described there of like overcoming you know injuries that all runners will chime with in such a sort of relatively short amount of time like are you 
I mean, are, are you kind of tempted to to give yourself over to to science, like to pl- plug it, go to the lab and sort of have people insert things in places where they shouldn't insert things to sort of get a sort of scientific measure of how your body's able to adapt through these periods of intense stress? Like, is there is there teachings and learnings from a scientific point of view that can be gleaned from this kind of stuff? I would assume there is. I mean, I'd always be keen if there's anyone out there that'd like to. I mean, I'm always open to understand more of what's going on and in the pursuits of, you know, just my own knowledge and then to help others. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think they have found these things over the years. Um, I'm, I, I almost dare not even speak of this because I'm going to sound ignorant and naive to what I'm saying. But I was told when I ran across the U.S., a friend of mine I actually went to high school with, his wife uh, was in her residency for becoming a doctor. And she was in some program where they were looking at people doing endurance events and that they had found that people with diabetes were able to, essentially while they were in the midst of an event, their diabetes just went away. And they were trying to understand the pathways and reasons for that. So I I think there is a lot that happens when you're doing this. And there's a lot that could be gleaned for, for the greater good or for other aspects of life. But um, also, then again, don't want to take what I do too seriously or think it's so profound that we could cure, cure the issues of the world yeah. with it. But um, I, I do think, it, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to ponder. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I think ponder is the right word to pontificate and just to, just to think about it. And obviously, you know, and you, you sort of, uh, you kind of precursed your response with that thing of like, there's, there's so much, there's so much out there. And obviously people were, were caveating all this. This is one individual's experience. It's not a catch-all thing. Don't, don't go out there and try these things <laughs> yourself. That's the kind don't of- Don't try this at home. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Yeah, that's the, that's the sort of disclaimer. But one thing, I mean, in terms of your own relationship with your own body, in particular to nutrition and something that's kind of really rooted to you is your, your diet and being a, a vegan. That's kind of inherent and very directly linked to, to some of the challenges that you've, you've taken on. I mean- what does that look like for you when it comes to these kind of events? And how have you found that that shift to to this vegan diet? I found a plant-based diet through initially, it came due to finding that it really decreases an individual's carbon footprint, you know, um, mm. especially here in the States. A lot of our animal products are very poorly, poorly managed, poorly raised. And in that, there's a huge, huge environmental trade-off as well as, as this like ethical part of just the suffering of beings when they just don't need to suffer. So that started it for me. Also, I had an inclination that it could be good for performance off of, you know, some really great examples, one being Scott Jurek, you know, one of the most accomplished ultra runners of all time, as well as Rich Roll, also a very accomplished um, athlete as well as a very prominent voice in this space. And with that, I was interested to see how it worked for me. And quickly, very quickly did I find that my recovery time cut down quite a bit. Uh, I just didn't find myself as sore as I had been in the past. Meat, particularly red meat, causes inflammation. Inflammation causes soreness. So by eliminating that, I was able to push longer distances more frequently. So that's kind of kind of the basis of where I come from from that. Um, I personally prefer it's all semantics, but I'd say I'm, I'm plant-based, not vegan. And mm. that being because I think I like to leave it open for others and their own versions of interpretation of that. When we start to speak in absolutisms, which is what veganism is, mm. you really shut the door for conversation and others to maybe start pushing in that direction. 
Whereas for me, like better is better. So if it is that you're in an unhealthy relationship with food and maybe eating a lot of really rich animal heavy foods, or even maybe just really processed heavy in sugars and processed ingredients, like the more you can move away from that and towards cleaner veggie heavy diet, the better off you're going to be and better off the environment's going to be. So yeah, I just like to think of it like that. And I really like to always add that in there is like, I'm, I'm not someone here preaching for anybody to change their ways unless they feel like it's something that's going to benefit them or society. And if you do like do it in a way that works for you, maybe it's not this total over overhaul of everything you do, but it's just incremental changes that lead to a better outcome. 100%. I think you articulate that, that brilliantly. And I think, yeah, you're right. I think that was my bad, partly with the, the, the vegan thing. And I think it's, it carries baggage, I think, sometimes as well. And have you, have you found that when you sort of, I don't know, when you talk about your diet and stuff like that, that there's a, there's a perception that comes with someone who adopts a plant-based diet in more conventional spaces where you're kind of perceived as uh, some sort of hippie ultra runner who's banging on about a plant-based <laughs> diet? Like, is there, is there sort of perceptions that you sometimes have to sort of break through sometimes when you, when you talk about your diet and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, there is. And I think that one one of the big ones that is yeah like veganism as a term has gotten a bad rap due to a lot of vegans but also i think i am an interesting case study or i'm an interesting one way to defuse that because i don't think when people see me it would be their first thought of that's what i am i mean i've got a pretty strong mustache got a southern draw I, i definitely i think look a little more blue collar than what most people expect so it creates this like moment of this just there's some conflicting thoughts that enter people's mind when, when that's brought up. Um, and for me, it's also been an evolution over time. Like I think with everyone, we naturally gravitate towards what's new in our lives, what's exciting. And when I ran across the U S you know, that was a new thing for me. I had only been plant-based for, you know, about a year going into it. And it was something that felt like deserved more conversation. And it was also still going back on that idea of just better is better. You know, when I ran across the US, kind of the thesis was to create conversations about better food choices and promote the efficacy of a plant-based diet. And what's interesting though, is me as an individual is like, now that's just instilled in me. It's, it's a lot of who I am, but it's not at the forefront of what I'm projecting or what I'm talking about, because it's just innately a part of who I am. And also like, I don't want to be limited in my life by only defining myself by my food choices. I find that I find that very interesting when people choose to define themselves by one aspect of who they are. You're really not giving yourself credit as being a whole human with lots of interests and lots of strengths and lots of weaknesses. And I want to be able to explore all of that and hope that others can see me for more than just that, but also knowing that that is kind of a pillar of, of who I am. Uh, that's fascinating. It's so interesting. You make a very good point there. That is the thing. It's not like you sort of, you, you log log onto your Instagram and it's plant-based runner, Robbie Ballinger. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not that kind yeah. of, you don't sort of search like title your thing, but there is a temptation, I think perhaps for people to sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe it comes from a play. Oh, this is us maybe pivoting wildly off into a sort of psychological <laughs> podcast here, but one's need to sort of have a label above themselves to give them something to maybe have purchase on rather than like you say, sort of identifying as a whole kind of three-dimensional, fully formed human being. But I, I feel like I might be going down a big old rabbit hole for another podcast and I'm not wildly qualified <laughs> for either. But I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to you in this 
these two words actually that are on your website that aren't a title, but I think are very interesting and they sort of are very apt for you is this idea of sustained motion. I think that's yes. very, very telling for you from, from going from a TSP solo to going straight into to crewing. I mean, is that sustainable, do you think, for you, this, this sense of sustained motion through space and time? Do you think it's a, a, a way that you want to continue living? What do you draw from that? And are there moments where you just want to stop, sit down and reflect? Oh, yes. I mean, and I do, right? Like, I think this is a very unique one where I'm like jumping from one to the next. Um, and it's been an evolution over time to understand to be okay with the times in between. When I ran across the US, there's just so much momentum. It was my first time doing a big thing. There's so much, I mean, every day you're accomplishing something so big and you're getting kudos for it. There's people patting you on the back all along the way. And then I got done and you just come to a screeching halt. This thing mm -hmm. that I had planned for a year and took three, you know, two and a half months to execute. And all of a sudden you get to the end and you're done and you have no momentum. And that was really hard. It was six months of just feeling very lost and depressed, to be honest. And with each bigger run that I do, I've learned to be okay with that time in between. And to, you know, it's, it's, I think when a lot of people might just see through social media, they're like, oh, this, this guy just goes, goes, goes. The reality is, is after a big thing, usually, you know, there's a month of pretty hard chill where I'm not, I'm not really thinking too much about running. I might already know what I want to do next and I'm going for casual runs, but I haven't fixated in on this point and this thing. And for me, that's, that's really important. And that's what creates this sustainability through motion and like of motion through space and time. I don't think I could do it every, every day, but when I choose to take on big things, I, I, that's what I'm searching for is that that ability to do it sustainably with, with, with dignity and with, with, with like the ability to still articulate a sentence and not be on my deathbed every night in between. Uh, and I think a lot of that was, I found a way to articulate that through an effort I did in the summer of 2021. It's coined the Colorado crush. And I did a, it was a whole summer of just being in the mountains in the Colorado Rockies, culminating in running 1,200 miles in 63 days, but with 308,000 feet of gain. So the equivalent of summiting Mount Everest 10 and a half times in two and a half months, um, or just over two months. Wow. But when I was out there, you're out there in these mountains in Colorado, and a lot of my mind went to the indigenous cultures of North America and just thinking of the times here pre, you know, pre the Spanish Inquisition when horses were brought over. So prior to that, all, you know, indigenous people of the U.S. were traveling by foot. And that just got me thinking is, you know, there had to be people back then that perfected this. If we needed messengers, warriors, people to go from village to village to tell what's coming or what's going, there, were, there had to be people that were essentially what we would call these you know, great ultra endurance athletes. And so for me, it's a lot of like, how much of that can I learn in my lifetime? How much can I perfect this to do what they, you know, they probably learned over generations. And that was where that notion came of, okay, that's what I'm doing here. That's what I want to explore more. And yeah, it's kind of the thesis of this, this chapter in my life. I don't know how long this will last. I'm 38. I really feel confident that I could continue to push distance for at least another 10 years. I think that's one of the beauties of ultra distance running. And one of the things that drew me to it in my early 30s was 
oh, I'm, I'm not too old for this. I'm still a spring chicken, actually. There's still a lot of room for growth. And I still feel like I'm in the midst of that. I love that, that notion for sustained motion and long may it, long may it continue. And I mean, I, I feel slightly remiss if I didn't ask you, but I'm conscious that you are right at the beginning of, a, of an adventure right now, as we speak on the phone, crewing for, for Will as he takes on this epic challenge. But are ideas forming for you, for what your next challenge might be? Are things percolating? Are there, are there things on the horizon you're thinking about? Or are you remaining present for this challenge right now? Um, I'm very present for this challenge. I would say, though, yes, there are there are things in the works right now for me to have a very big effort this fall. Um, I'm, I'm I don't feel like I'm quite comfortable yet divulging the details, mm-hmm. but it to me will be a very big, arduous, as big as running across the U.S. Um, I'm expecting to get a lot of growth from it. I'm very, very excited about it. Those really close to me, I've told about it, and they're all in awe of 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 the idea of taking it on. And I like that. I like when I see people's jaw drop when I tell them. And that combined with my like real excitement about it. Like I go to bed every night thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. And yeah, so there definitely are things I'm looking forward to. I think it will be this fall. And yeah, whoever, you know, follow me out there on social media, there will become a day where I'm like, okay, this is it. Exciting times. Maybe you can go back to that one individual you encountered traveling across America who was unimpressed with your challenge and telling yeah, this you new one. Yeah, my litmus test, right? You're like, <laughs> are you impressed this time? <laughs> I'm running around Mars twice. Come on. Like, geez, I'm, I'm going to Jupiter. I'm going to swim yeah. to Jupiter. Come on. Like, be impressed. <laughs> be impressed. Well, that sounds like a, a lovely point to to end our, our conversation on. Scientists, if you are listening, uh, Robbie is, is currently tracking across America. If you want to stop in maybe a, a rest stop with Will and uh, do some scientific tests, if you can sort of glimmer any uh, insight into the miraculous adaptations his body's gone under. But um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on and being such a, a brilliant guest on The Big Run. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. A big thank you to Robbie for joining us on the road. You can keep track of Will's adventure and Robbie's support of it via their socials and head over to Robbie's website where you can learn more about some of the epic challenges he's taken part in. Thanks so much for listening. If you are enjoying, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the show. And keep it locked because there are some big special episodes coming soon. I'll see you next time for The Big Rump.